Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 78th episode, and I am here after the Sao Paulo Grand Prix weekend. Well, it was the final sprint of the year and the end of a big triple header in the Americas. But before we get to all of that action in Brazil, first a quick reminder to check out the link tree in the description. It has links to pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast, my YouTube channel, Breakbys, Twitter, and TikTok. It has my email address if you'd like to contact me, as well as my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Now let's talk about the racing this weekend in Interlagos. Well, let's just address it off the top. I am pretty disappointed in Formula One in 2023. Yes, I sound like a pouty Mercedes fan, and well, I guess I am, but uh, because that is definitely a part of it, I can't lie. Um, but you can't tell me that you really enjoyed that uh, Sao Paulo Grand Prix apart from some drama at the start and a phenomenal ending between Perez and Alonso. After that, it was pretty much just boring, in my opinion at least. I mean, 71 laps around Interlagos, this fantastic circuit, should be thrilling. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy the circuit got extended for another five to seven years or whatever it, it was, um, but the race just wasn't as exciting as it should have been. Well, I mean, really the whole weekend, I quali was ruined by the weather as far as I'm concerned. Um, it was a pretty good qualifying leading up to Q3. And then it was just a very anticlimactic ending. Um, although I will say that weather was insane. Those clouds are probably some of the darkest clouds I've ever seen. It would have been absurd to be there you know I saw videos of uh, people in the grandstands and uh, the roof of a grandstand getting like ripped off by the wind that would have been pretty scary to be in Um, however as a spectator uh, and seeing the stark difference between the start of Q1 and the end of Q3 just in how bright the sky was was pretty insane however um, I do think you know that was very evident by uh, how what the margins were like in Q1 versus what the margins were in Q3 just the one run uh, at the in Q3 to decide the grid, uh, or at least for the top 10, um, was disappointing. It's always more interesting. I, I'm going off in a bit of a tangent here, but it's always more interesting to see uh, a qualifying start wet and then get dry versus the other way around. Because if it gets wet as you go, then the times can't go down. Um, so that's always disappointing if it happens in q2 and then in q3 it comes out and then it's wet then it's a different story but for it to happen in q3 and then the basically the times are going to be the quickest they are that always kind of ruins qualifying in my opinion but anyway then we're moving on to the sprint day that was pretty much ruined for me you know by max getting lando at the start it was great to see lando get sprint shootout pole but um once once the start was over and, and verstappen had taken the lead it was basically over from there. I mean, well, the sprint did have some decent overtakes. Uh, and I guess, to be fair, um, with all of the sprints we've had this year, some of them have been kind of some stinkers. So I guess all things considered, the sprint was actually decent. But then Sunday, again, it was just ruined by all of the retirements. I know sometimes retirements uh, can bring out safety cars and, you know, the red flag. Always a second restart is always nice. 
you know, crashes and it can really bring a lot of drama to the race. Um, but in this circumstance, I feel like with all the mechanical issues and then the uh, four retirements right off the bat, all it did really was take out a whole bunch of fighting that we would have had um, throughout, you know, the back markers in the midfield. Um, it also definitely, you know, because uh, Piastri and Ricardo were also basically out. I guess I should mention that as well. They were in the race, but they basically weren't because they were a lap down right from the red flag restart. And uh, for those who maybe didn't understand why that was, was just because they didn't go around. Uh, they didn't follow the safety car for a whole lap. And then there was a red flag. So technically they, di- they didn't do that lap. I will say this again, another tangent. I think they should fix that rule. Um, I don't think that should be a thing because a safety car, for example, if you're a lap down, they actually let you catch the field. A red flag should just restart the race. Everyone's on the same lap. As far as I'm concerned, um, unless the, the only issue that I could see potentially arising from that, and it would be so rare, but knowing formula one, they would change this rule. And then it would happen was that scenario where Perez was in the pits for like 60 laps. I'm exaggerating. It was probably more like 30 laps in Japan. And then he came out to serve that penalty and then go back. Had that race been red flagged, Perez could have gone back in that race. And, you know, based off the rules that I'm suggesting, could have got back in that race and then been at the back and made up 35 laps or whatever crazy number of laps he missed was. That to me is a little bit unfair, but then I feel like you could just have a separate you know, regulation in there that if you sit in the pits while, you know, the leader goes for three laps or something, then you're just out. I feel like that's an easy way to resolve that rule. But anyway, that just seemed a little bit unfair. And basically Piastri and Ricard were also out. So from the get go, we basically had like six cars out of the race already. And it just took away a lot of the action that we could have had. And then I think Mercedes actually being useless um, and really slow hurt the Grand Prix. As a whole, I I have talked to people who aren't Mercedes fans. They agree with me. It's not just me saying this because I'm I'm a sore loser that my team had their worst weekend of the year. Without a doubt, that was shocking stuff from Mercedes. Um, But I feel like it also just took out a bit of that juice that we could have had in the fight for second. Lando was was way up the way up the race. Uh, Verstappen was on cruise control. Um, we did have some great fighting from Alonso and Perez, of course, uh, for a good chunk of the race that at least made it somewhat interesting. Um, but with Mer- the Mercedes stuff, like it was just, it, 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 you know, sometimes a, a slow car, uh, further up the grid can, you know, lead to some good racing if they're able to defend, but they were just such a sitting duck on the straights with their straight line speed. Like it was just easy DRS blow by. So they weren't exciting passes. Um, so yeah, basically from a part, uh, Lando giving max that one run at the start and then, you know, uh, the, the Alonso and Paris fighting, it was basically just a foregone conclusion. And then, yeah, just a bad race in my opinion. So yeah, it was unfortunate. Um, just man, I predicted a bold prediction that Verstappen would have his first DNF of the season. Why? Why can't we have just one Verstappen issue in the race? One, man. Honestly, if, if Verstappen DNF'd just one time, that race would automatically probably be the best of the year because 
That's how great the fight for second has been all year long. We've just needed one dang race. I mean, I guess we did kind of get it in Singapore when uh, Red Bull had their struggles. But, of course, it happened at a track like Singapore where there's just no overtaking possibility. Still a thrilling Grand Prix, don't get me wrong. But um, if that were to happen here, I guess maybe it wouldn't have worked out just because of how Lando is cruising. But... Yeah, just a track like this. Uh, Think about Silverstone. You know, Lando and Lewis had that incredible battle with Verstappen up the road, and that would have been for the win. Just something like that. All we need is Verstappen out of one race this year. One race. And it could have been just, I feel like everyone's eyes would just light up because they know this is their chance. Um, So, yeah, why can't they just have one damn problem? Red Bull, man, they're just too good. Anyway, let's get into the more, um, you know, standard way of reviewing the Grand Prix. We will start with Red Bull because the champs were flawless again. Max led all sessions besides FB1 in the sprint shootout, but his starts were just mega. His race pace was superior again, and he just continues to shine in Formula 1 at the age of 26. 52 wins now, one away from Sebastian Vettel it's just insanity once he gets that win which will likely be in Las Vegas and he ties Sebastian Vettel and you know you know he has the third most wins in Formula One already at age 26 Uh, and then probably in Abu Dhabi when he wins again and gets his 54th he will be alone in that top three with Lewis Hamilton Michael Schumacher I feel like it is cemented that uh, Max Verstappen is arguably the GOAT. Um, I, I know that sounds insane to say, but, you know, just a couple of years of dominance, but this is this is unparalleled. Michael Schumacher, you know, had his years in the Ferrari in the early 2000s that were close to this level. But he is about to probably smash uh, Ascari's record of percentage of wins of the season. And to me... That is probably the most impressive thing because all these little records that people bring up, uh, you know, with the amount, like just even wins, you know, I I know I'm uh, spouting about how insane the amount of wins he has is, um, but even that, you know, has a bit of a caveat to it because there's just so many more races now. I remember back when Max got his 25th win or something like that, and he was like, well, it doesn't really mean much to me because there's just so many more races now, but to beat Ascari's record, a record that has stood since, what, 51? <laughs> 52? Uh, over 60 years. Um, and do break a percentage record with more races, that is actually insane. Uh, because the, la- the, the fewer races means it's easier to dominate a season. To do it over... 24 that we just had, or I I don't know if it's actually 24, is it? Because Imola got canceled. 23 it is. Anyway, the more races actually makes this record more impressive, not less impressive is my point. Um, But let's not get too much into the Max Verstappen stuff. I have two, three more episodes to do of this season still of, uh, you know, pumping his tires. So I got to save some for those episodes as well. Uh, did Perez have a bounce back performance because he's who I want to talk about now on that back of, uh, on the back of that Mexico weekend where, 
he was the hometown hero, but crashed out. It looked like his pace was going to be decent, um, but it was just a bit of a nightmare, right? I want to talk about this weekend for Perez because it seemed like a, he was getting a lot of love for um, finally getting back onto the pace that we, you know, Red Bull needs to see from him. He was P9 in quality, though uh, very unlucky to finish there, actually. He was going very well until the final run where he just went out too late, and then those dark clouds came in, and it just ruined everyone, uh, everyone's lap that went out just a little bit too late. And then he was P3 in the shootout, less than a tenth off of Max. Impressive stuff there. But then 13 seconds off of Max in the sprint, uh, finished P3. He did get caught up behind some slower drivers, and that definitely cost him some time, but still a little bit off of the race pace, and that is a sizable gap for uh, a short race distance. Then in the race, he did just barely miss a podium, 34 seconds off of Max, and again, a lot of time. Uh, once he got past Alonso, I'm sure he would have pulled a gap. He spent time catching, uh, getting past Mercedes. And that, of course, is going to slow you down again. However, let's, you know, be real here. Uh, as much as it was definitely a step forward from how poor his form has been recently, ultimately, this performance, I think, still would have been a disappointment early on in the season when he was flying. You know, expectations have clearly changed if if this is going to be considered a good weekend for Sergio Perez. Because let's be honest, Max would have cleared Fernando on lap 40, not lap 70. And not to mention Perez giving that uh, position right back to Fernando with a little bit of an air uh, into turn one. So just... I don't think we should be praising Perez. Uh, I, 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 it should be more treated as a step in the right direction. This was not really a good performance, all things considered. I'm sure he'll be happy with it because it was that step forward. But I think even himself, he's got to know that he, there's still got to be more from him to come than just what he did this weekend. Um, so... Hoping that is the case for the next two rounds because Perez really is a good guy, it seems like to me at least. Um, and we want to see him closer to Max Verstappen, at least providing some sort of challenge because um, I feel like he has received a ton of blame for making this season boring. And uh, as much as I don't really think that's entirely fair, it is sort of true. But how about that battle with Alonso? I mean, really, that was pretty incredible stuff, I think. Paris has always had very underrated racecraft this season. He has been basically, uh, what's he's been disappointing in, in that realm. I think there's been plenty of moments this year where he's made very uncharacteristic errors because Paris had a reputation of being uh, a great driver to race with. I mean, Fernando said that, but Fernando's just being nice. Um, he said that after the race that, you know, Sergio is someone you know that you can race hard with and you're not going to end up in the wall. But uh, not how Kevin Magnuson felt in Japan, that's for sure, because that was some shocking racecraft there. And there's been some other moments this year where it just hasn't been the cleanest of uh, racing from Perez. But when Perez is on, his racecraft is next level. And then there's Alonso, who is basically god level. I'm not sure there's been a driver ever with the racecraft of Fernando Alonso, it is hard to compare, um, you know, the cars of old versus the Formula One machines that uh, exist today. But 
Alonso is, you know, he is God tier. And uh, if someone said that he is the best racecraft of all time, I would absolutely not dispute it. And that was evident here because he was clearly slower than that Red Bull. And it was some of the most clever racing I've ever seen. Um, I, I know I'd said the same thing about signs in Singapore. Completely different stuff. Um, I would say this is almost more impressive, though, because Brazil is a track that you can overtake on when you have the pace. Um, Singapore, you can get, you can do little tricks because the track just doesn't provide a lot of opportunities for chasing cars to to catch up. It's different in, in Brazil. So if you can put on a defensive masterclass at that track, that speaks volumes about your racecraft and ability to defend. Insane stuff from Alonso, very reminiscent of what he did to Hamilton back in Hungary, um, because that was an even bigger pace deficit just at a track that's a little bit harder to overtake as well. Uh, anyway, spending a lot of time on Red Bull, let's move on to McLaren now. What a weekend from Lando Norris, a pretty scrappy one from his teammate though, Oscar Piastri, um, did not have great Q3s or SQ3, and then in the race, was just taken out at the start and then basically was just running around with damage trying to uh, probably test some stuff for the team because honestly, I, I don't know why they didn't just retire the car. Uh, but you never know. A safety car could have came. And with the amount of cars that were out, an opportunity may have came for him. Ultimately, that was not the case. It was Oscar's first time at this track though too. So maybe that was part of it. Um, just getting him some some laps at a track he's never raced at. And, you know, F1 is going to be racing at for years to come. I do think Oscar was never really able to show his pace properly. There were some moments in qualifying when he popped up right at the sharp end. Um, so hard one to judge for Oscar. So let's just talk about Lando because... And really this team, um, they are second fastest. Lando is definitely one of the premier drivers in this sport. I I, I think it's 100% true at this point. I mean, I back them over any team to challenge Red Bull next year. McLaren keeps downplaying their chances at every circuit. Um, but then, you know, they keep cropping up with these brilliant performances uh, in, in Mexico where they said they're not going to be strong. Brazil, they said they'd struggle, and, and Lando was phenomenal and clearly second best. I feel like one, when Lando gets this winning monkey off of his back, I have no doubt that he will fly to several wins in Formula 1. He actually matched Nick Heidfeld's record for the most podiums without a win in F1 history this weekend, and... He's probably on track to beat that. However, I do not think Lando will have his entire career going winless. If that happened, that would be probably one of the biggest tragedies in sport. I mean, tragedies is a is a maybe a strong word because tragedy could be used in other contexts as well. Um, but just in terms of like a sporting performance, um, and, and I guess it's not a championship, so it's hard to say. But anyway, that would just be so so sad for Lando because he he's so deserving of a win and he just doesn't have one yet um but more on McLaren this team is the most consistent right now of all the uh teams behind Red Bull they're really good operationally they've made great hires who haven't even started yet uh they're clearly going in the right direction with their car um it feels like they understand their package better than Ferrari and Mercedes and Aston Martin. And they have two fantastic young drivers. I don't know what there is not to like about this team. It's just 
I guess their relative inexperience as of late being at the top is really all you can say uh, about them right now to to hold them back. It's pretty incredible um, what they're doing. And yeah, I probably, you know, I'm not doing my 2024 predictions episode yet, but I can guarantee you I'm probably going to have McLaren second in the constructors. Now let's talk about the team that started out the season second. Um, That's Aston Martin. And I haven't talked about them. I, I was doing five teams per review episode. And I decided to switch it up and basically just talk about the top four, unless there was really a team worth talking about. You know, sometimes I would bring Alpine in there, sometimes Williams. Uh, I did AlphaTauri a little bit when Liam Lawson was in the car. Um, and then there's other times where they were just, I feel like, more important things to talk about than just reviewing a team. So Aston Martin's actually really been on uh, the back burner a little bit for me. Um, so I feel like I had to talk about them here. Because this resurgence was incredible. I mean, this felt like the beginning of the season. If you took out Lando Norris, that was the type of performance that Aston Martin had. I mean, Alonso would have been second, battling with a Red Bull. And Lance Stroll was right up there too. I mean, they were probably the third. Actually, no, not just probably. They were the third fastest car on balance this weekend. Stroll and Alonso locked out that second row for the Grand Prix. They did have a bit of a shocker Saturday, but let's just forget that. Pretend it didn't happen. Because on Sunday, they were both right up there. Fernando was probably the worthy driver of the day. Um, But Lance Stroll is actually who really stood out to me. This is the type of performance I expect from Fernando. This was probably Lance's best weekend of the year. We, you know, may have been more impressed by Lance's outing in Bahrain, you know, with his injured wrist. Um, But... Out qualifying Fernando and then finishing six seconds behind him over the course of a race distance with really no safety car to like bring them together. It was just an early red flag, which really doesn't matter. Um, that is a fantastic effort. Uh, so I think I've, I've always been adamant that the criticism for Stroll is often warranted. But man, when he has performances like this, you better keep that same energy because he deserves praise for weekends like this. You don't just say nothing and say this is where you should be all the time. No, he you can't criticize him and then not talk about it when he actually does his job. So great job for Lance Stroll. Although I will say he in the media pen is something else. I mean, I was, I was wondering if he was actually going to... Um, be a little bit more talkative and happy because he actually finally had a great weekend. But no, he was basically the same Lance, giving nothing answers, even though he had a fifth place in the race. He looks to be so, so done with answering media questions. It is shocking. I I follow many other sports besides Formula One, and I'm trying to think of someone maybe besides Marshawn Lynch, if you're familiar with him in the NFL, the running back who literally would show up to interviews and say, I'm just, I'm here so I don't get fined. Besides him, I can't think of a, of a athlete who is less engaged with the media. I mean, it is incredible and he doesn't even try to hide it. It's, it really is something to behold how Poorly, he treats some of the media. I feel bad for these reporters trying to ask him questions because he just gives one-word answers. It's so bad. But anyway, um, yeah, this this team has really undergone quite the rough patch in performance. 
you know, they started the race or the start of the season with like six podiums and seven races. They've had one in the last 11 and all these upgrades that seem to have sent them in the wrong direction, uh, you know, have, have been a hard thing to watch if you're an Aston Martin fan and probably an even harder thing to deal with internally. But in Brazil, they, they run that old spec and, now they're flying again. It shows there is absolutely inherent speed in that car. But the problem is if they can't develop it, then they're not going to be anywhere in the coming years. All that promise of maybe them being the next team to challenge at the front and make a, a jump to a top team in Formula One is in question because their development was just so bad. And it is a stark contrast from last year because I thought they were one of the best developing teams last year. Not this year. They were probably the worst. So a winter could be exactly what they need, though. So get these couple more races in. Um, and, you know, if if it were a thing, you know, Aston Martin were winter world champs this year. Like that winter that they just had coming into this season was incredible. Um, but I, I feel like these two races, it's not just, you know, brush them off and get to winter. These two races will be important because... I feel like we have to see them fast at one of the next two tracks just so we can, you know, answer the question of whether they're actually back or whether Brazil just had something going on that really, really helped their package, you know, move back up to the front. Or if they were also just possibly flattered by how bad Ferrari and Mercedes were because Ferrari was, I feel like, completely saved by the lackluster effort from Mercedes. And I mean, I guess before I get into that, we got to just talk Leclerc right off the bat. I, I mean, I don't have much to say. He really does have the shitiest luck. I mean, he said so himself as soon as he crashed. He's, Why am I so unlucky? It was a pretty disheartening radio message. I feel like Leclerc really is the best at evoking the emotion in the radio messages. Eh? I mean, in France last year, that no was probably... That 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 no could rip your heart out. I mean, it was very hard to listen to when he screamed no in France. And then here, just absolutely dejected. Why am I so unlucky? Like, it really just pulls on your heartstrings, Leclerc. I, I feel like he has a career maybe in, uh, in Hollywood after his uh, racing career. But I expected more from Ferrari here, to be honest. Um, of course, it was a massive missed opportunity uh, because, you know, they're they're fighting Mercedes in the constructors championship um but it's not like I expected a race winning pace from Ferrari but I did at least you know hope to see some good quality good quality pace like they continue to show at most tracks and then some okay race pace some average race pace from them but like I said, they were flattered massively by how bad Mercedes was. Had Mercedes been up there like they usually have been, I feel like everyone would be talking about how this weekend was an absolute nightmare for Ferrari. I mean, like, think of it. Signs seem to be up to speed with Leclerc this weekend, albeit only a decent pace in quality, like the, the pace that uh, Leclerc and Signs showed in the sprint, I don't think was very strong either. Um, and then Q3 kind of screwed everything up in the end so it's hard to judge off of those grid positions whether uh uh charles and and carlos were really on the same level uh because charles did do a great job to get up there in the front row um but in the race though it was probably their worst showing since 
Zanvort as a team, I'd say, just overall, just pace being off. Um, and yeah, that massive missed opportunity to make up serious ground on Mercedes heading into these final two weekends of the season because I I personally think Ferrari is going to be better than Mercedes at these next two tracks, so it's going to get spicy. Um, however, I think, well, let me just explain, I guess. The reason why is just I think Abu Dhabi... Um, is a is a track that you know Ferrari was great at last year, and I could see them doing very well there again. With just uh, you know, there's a whole section of the track where it's very slow speed, which they they're good at. Um, straights and chicanes is basically the entire second sector, which they're good at. I feel like sector one might be a little tricky for them, but beyond that, they're going to be good throughout the rest of the lap. And then Las Vegas is just going to be a straight line speed merchant race. So I feel like they're going to be a lot better than Mercedes there as well. But anyway, Mercedes consistently typically just makes them a hard team to take big chunks out of. So this was their chance. And, you know, the retirement of Leclerc and the middling pace kind of blew that opportunity for them as far as I'm concerned. But the results in the Grand Prix are as follows. Max Verstappen takes win number 52 of his career, followed by Lando Norris with a faultless P2 drive with the fastest lap. P3 was Fernando Alonso, the deserving driver of the day in my opinion. Fantastic stuff from him and Aston Martin. P4, Sergio Perez, so close to being back on the podium. P5, Lance Stroll, his best result of the year. Then it was Carlos Sainz in P6, Gasly in P7. Great job for him and Alpine. He continues to distance himself from Esteban Ocon. P8, Lewis Hamilton. Yikes, I think that is his worst result in Brazil, where he actually finished the race. P9 was another two points for AlphaTauri through Yuki Sonoda. Then, for the second week running, Esteban Ocon in P10. The driver standings look like this. Max Verstappen, first, obviously, he is our champion in 2023, 524 points. Next up is Sergio Perez at 258, followed by Lewis Hamilton on 226. So that is... A bit of a gap for for Lewis to climb now. I feel like it probably is officially over 22 points, or sorry, 32 points in in the matter of two race weekends is uh, going to be impossible, even if Sergio Perez um, DNFs from both. I, I'm not sure Lewis has that in him at these next two tracks. Then it's Fernando Alonso at 198. He stays in fourth, just barely ahead of Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz. Lando's on 195, Carlos on 192. So those three drivers separated by six points. Then further back, it's Charles Leclerc, who falls 22 points behind his teammate now because of that DNF. And then further behind is George Russell, who is... Uh, Quite a ways behind his teammate now. 70 points separated uh, by the Mercedes pair there. Then it's Oscar Piastri way down there at 87. He's had a few poor weekends in a row where his teammate has absolutely taken off on him. That gap is over 100 points now. And then Lance Stroll reemerges in the top 10. He's on 63 points. The gap to him, uh, those two teammates, is the biggest in Formula 1. Well, I mean, Verstappen and Perez is, but at least they're 1 and 2. Alonso and Stroll, they're 4 and 10. And Stroll is 135 points behind. That is shocking. Then looking at the constructors, Red Bull at 782, Mercedes at 382. Yes, a 500-point difference right now in the Constructors' Championship. That is 
crazy. Then it's Ferrari, 20 points behind Mercedes, and then McLaren, a further 80 points behind Ferrari. They're on 282. Aston Martin on 261. That fight not necessarily over if Aston can have a couple good weekends to close out the season and maybe McLaren has a bit of misfortune. Alpine is at 108. They're in that weird Alpine middle range still. Williams 28 and Alpha Tauri closing in on 21 points. I feel like they might uh, look back and regret that mistake that Yuki Sonoda made with Oscar Piastri where he probably coughed up a good four points there. That would bring them within three of Williams. I think Alvatari has the chance to score at these next two Grand Prix and seven points is doable, but it may not happen and they might miss that opportunity that they had in Mexico. Alfa Romeo on 16 and Haas at 12. I feel like they are most likely locked into those positions. Now, the prize demise and surprise, I feel like the prize has to be Aston Martin. They're back. I've spoken up on that one. So let's get into the demise. You're probably waiting for this one. It was Mercedes. An honorable mention to Charles Leclerc, just for how unlucky he continues to be. But I did not talk about Mercedes in my usual uh, race review section. Um, And that is just because there is one... There is one maybe positive to take away from this weekend, and that is exactly what I mentioned in the preview, and that is there is absolutely no way Mercedes considers bringing back a similar concept next year. I think they already had that decided. However, last last Brazil, they were kind of tricked into thinking that they should bring back the zero pod concept and that it was working for them. This year, Brazil was the biggest nightmare of all. They are absolutely going to switch up. They are the demise because I have completely lost faith in this team. I have stood by them thinking that eventually, once they solve out these they solve these issues, they're going to make the change over the winter. I said the same thing last year and they didn't do it, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt. This year... I was expecting it all year in the winter. They're going to come back. They're going to be right up there. Not, I wouldn't expect them to be on the pace of Red Bull. I've always said that I Red Bull are clear favorites next year as well. But I thought it would be closer. Now I'm not so convinced. I think they've been leapfrogged by Aston Martin. Or sorry, by McLaren. I wouldn't be surprised if Ferrari pops up next year with a faster car than them. They are lost. And I think it is a multitude of reasons. They also lost Mike Elliott, one of their most more brilliant technical minds. I know some of you are like, oh, well, he made that terrible zero pod concept car. That was a brilliantly thought out car. Um, it just didn't work practically. And, you know, ultimately that is on him. But he was there for years and is undoubtedly a loss um, to that team. There's been plenty of personnel that have left on the engine side, the aero side, strategy side, basically everywhere. They, this team has lost people and I just don't think, I'm not sure they have it in them to actually bounce back. I'm not sure they have the people. I'm not sure they have the understanding of these regulations. The only thing that they do have is the drivers. And that is what is the biggest shame because they keep looking good. I feel like I have to explore this possibility of the fact that, you know, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell are just phenomenal drivers making a dog look like a good car because 
I'm not convinced that if, say, we had the driver lineup of Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon in that Mercedes, that this car would even be on the same level of, of McLaren and Ferrari. Of course, this one weekend is an outlier. I'm sure they will pop up in Vegas and be more closer to where their average pace has been. This was an absolute nightmare. The scary part is, is you know, that they don't understand why they were slow. I was thinking that maybe they would start from the pit lane after how bad their sprint was. And I thought, you know, it's probably because they only had one practice session. They screwed up on the setup. It's a massive shame because they should have been fast here. Maybe they'll start from the pit lane and, you know, solve the issue that they, they caused for themselves. And then I find out it was a consideration, but they didn't do it because they didn't know where to start. They didn't know why they were slow. And that is the biggest problem. That is the biggest concern with Aston Martin. They obviously are failing to understand something because the upgrades they bring to their car are not working. Ferrari was lost a little bit with their tire wear for the longest time. And they didn't know how to develop their their old concept that popped up in Bahrain 2022 and was ridiculously fast. But then it just didn't get faster over the year. That was a big concern. Red Bull is the fastest because they have the best understanding. And it looks like McLaren also has that understanding. Mercedes is is closer to the Ferrari and Aston end than they are to the Red Bull and McLaren end. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So excuse my rant, but I am a, a pretty annoyed Mercedes fan. They are easily the demise of the Brazilian Grand Prix. And yeah, this is the most dejected I have ever been watching Formula One, probably at least since 2021 Abu Dhabi, which I still have refused to talk about on this podcast. The surprise, um, just to wrap up here, this will be all I am talking about in this episode. Um, I'll just say, how about those razor thin qualifying margins? Because it probably is the track for it. I, th- I think qualifying is always a little bit closer in Interlagos, but that was pretty insane. It was a half a second gap between P1 and P17 and Q1. So the, if you just look at qualifying results, these regulations look like they have created some of the best racing seasons that I think you know we've probably ever seen. Um, but it's just not panning out in the races. This was probably the poster child of uh of that take i guess um because yeah p1 to p17 half a second is insane but yeah that's it guys that's gonna do it for episode 78 of break bias i'm your host brad kramer and i will be back next week to preview the las vegas grand prix and boy am i excited to see honestly more of the off-track stuff than i am the on-track i feel like the circuit is still questioned quite a bit right now so let's see we're going to enter into the unknown and maybe that leads to a new winner goodbye